All right. If you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 is where our reading will be today. We will use a couple other texts as well in Daniel. And this is the finish of our summer series, our walk through the major prophets where, again, we're not covering everything. We for sure haven't. We couldn't there's a few of these we couldn't even come close to covering in six months or, or nine months because they're so big and there's so much that's in there. But kind of along with what Robin was saying about picking things that maybe aren't the natural, like, oh, you know, I, I just need to read my Bible. I'm going to go to Exodus or one of the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Some of these can be daunting. And so uh, our hope in this series was that You would read the major prophets and that you would see what they're for, even in the midst of some of the difficulties that are there. Uh, This sermon series didn't turn reading the major prophets into easy reading where suddenly you understood everything, but the goal is that to help us see that it's pointing us forward to Jesus and his work on the cross for us. So Daniel 9 This will be our last message from Daniel. It's our third message from Daniel. If you want to hear the main thing that's going on there, you can listen to the first message. If you want to hear the major sub-theme of living as God's people, the sovereign of the universe, how do we live in this world, that's what was last week. And this week we're going to consider Daniel at prayer. I think Daniel has a lot to teach us about prayer and how we talk to God. And so we're going to read, I'm going to read aloud, and you follow along, Daniel 9, 1 through 19. This is the word of the Lord. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, 
There has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us by your word, that even this record of someone speaking to you is a way that you communicate to us what you want us to know about who you are, about how you work in the world, and about how we can come to you. And so would you help us today as we consider prayer in light of Daniel and his life and this prayer in particular. Would you move us? Would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you convict us where we need to be convicted? And then would you comfort us with the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for even the sin of our weakness in prayer? And then would you send us out trusting you, talking with you, living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The big idea this morning is this. Since we have sins to confess, needs to be met, and a covenant-keeping God who saves us, we pray. Since we have sins to confess, needs to be met, and a covenant-keeping God who saves us, we pray. Now, as soon as I said, we're going to talk about Daniel and prayer, it's like, oh, no. Right? Is there anyone, don't raise your hand if you are, is there anyone here who's like, yeah, I'm just totally comfortable and confident with my prayer life before the Lord? Right? As soon as we say, we're talking about prayer today, it's like, oh, mm. <laughs> please don't. I did not come here for this. It's like, do I have a meeting? Do I have... It's like, nope, you're here. We all struggle with prayer, right? I don't know of anyone who is proud of their prayer life. And of course, if you were, then you'd have another problem. You shouldn't be proud of your prayer life. But none of us is anyway. We don't have any reason to be. 
So whether you're young or old, whether you're a kid here taking notes on your clipboard, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or a Christian for just a couple of months, this message is for you because there is room to grow in prayer and there are good reasons to pray. There's room for us to grow. We all feel that part. But most of the time we just get to like, I feel really bad about that. Maybe I'll try tomorrow. And then it's kind of like, well, that was neat. Hope the sermon's on something else next week. But there are good reasons to prayer. Not only room to grow in it. So learning from Daniel's life of prayer, we're going to try to answer really two questions today. What is prayer? And how do I pray? What is prayer? And how do I pray? So first, what is prayer? It's one of those things that that's only really a, a church word or when something really bad happens, we talk about thoughts and prayers. But what does that really mean in a world that doesn't believe there is anything more than what we can see? So what is prayer? First, prayer is talking to God. At its most basic, that's what prayer is. And that's what we see Daniel doing here in chapter 9. This whole thing, once he reads in Jeremiah and realizes it's going to be 70 years, he talks to God about it. That's what prayer is. Sometimes we can make it kind of fancy. It's a church thing. It's a, it's a big group of people, and I've got to know the, the right words to say. Prayer is talking to God. We can think of prayer as part of a conversation with God. It's not about fancy words. It's certainly not about impressing anyone else. It's a conversation with him. He speaks to us through his word, and we respond to him in prayer. We talk about having a relationship with him. If you go days or weeks or months without talking to someone who lives in your house, you don't have a relationship, right? You talk to God. He speaks to us. We speak to him. And that's what we find Daniel doing, not only here in chapter 9, but when he's in trouble, we find him doing that on the regular and here in response to God's word. So, prayer is talking to God. That might seem super obvious to some, but hopefully it's helpful to one. It's talking to God and not with big words, but telling him where we are, talking to him. And we'll talk more about the content of prayer, but prayer is talking to God. Second, prayer is the exercise of faith. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is the exercise of faith. When Daniel reads that in God's word, which it's interesting that he already regarded the books, he already regarded Jeremiah, one of those other major prophets, and what he had written as the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, and that it was the Lord promising that the captivity, the desolations would last for 70 years. When he does, when he realizes this is what God has said, he goes to God and he talks to God. Daniel is presented to us as someone who trusts in his God. Even when he's delivered, the pagan kings have to recognize he trusted in his God and his God delivered him. And he shows it by his fearlessness, his willingness to die for what he believes, but he also shows it by his 
prayer. Daniel's instinct is prayer. We talked about his wisdom last week from Daniel 2. You'll remember the story when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream and he was really troubled by it and he told all his wise men, I need you to tell me not only the interpretation but also the dream. That's how I'll know you're really telling me the truth. And they're like, you can't do that. That's impossible. And so he says, okay, you're all going to die. And Daniel, of course, hadn't been in on this yet, but he's considered one of the wise men. And so the first he even hears of it is when he gets a knock at his door saying, we're here to execute you. Right? And he exercised wisdom in asking a question, like, hey, what's going on? Why are we being executed today? And he gets his answer. And when he gets his answer, he knows this is a big deal. This is significant. This isn't something he can just look up. This isn't something he just knows. And so what does he do? Daniel 2, 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house and made known the matter to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. When he faced trouble, when he faced a problem, his instinct was, what do we do? Do we figure it out? Well, eventually, but we pray. We pray. We talk to God, the one who knows all, the one who is Overall, And so theologians down the years have come to call prayer the exercise of faith, right? Because you think about it, right? If only what we can see is all that exists, prayer is pretty ridiculous, right? We're standing, we're talking, we're asking for things from who, for what? Prayer is the exercise of faith. Prayer is what we do because we believe God is really there. And that he really hears us as he heard Daniel's prayer. And that he responds to prayer. Prayer is where faith works itself out in our lives. There's lots of ways where it works itself out in our lives. But one of the clearest ways where faith works itself out in our lives is through prayer. So then, what does our prayerlessness say about us. It's that we don't think we need God, right? My problems aren't big enough to need anyone else. I can figure this out. And we tend to approach quite a few of our problems this way, or maybe it's just me, but I'm guessing that maybe one or two of you are also there, where it's like, I can do this one. I can figure this out. I mean, this is a hard problem at work, and I've got to solve it. I was like, yeah, maybe you need to solve it, And I wouldn't recommend a 30-minute prayer meeting at your work while you're supposed to be solving a problem. But talk to God. Depend on Him. When we don't pray, we're saying we don't need God. We can fix it ourselves. We're also saying that we think God is not worthy of our praise. That we don't think He's done anything worth thanking Him for. When we can go days without acknowledging Him, it's like, well, it's I don't, I don't really have much to say. It's like, well, what has he done? Who is he? Is he worthy? And the song we sing that asks that question a lot, the answer is, he is, right? We should be singing that for the closer today, but we're not. Sorry. We'll get that disappointment out of the way now. When we pray... 
we prove that we believe that God exists. When we don't pray, we become practical atheists. Just doing the things in front of us to do. How do we do those things trusting the Lord? By talking to Him. And again, that doesn't mean it needs to be like a prayer service, right? And you pray for an hour. Sometimes we're weak in prayer because we think like that's the only kind of prayer that God wants. Like when we think of prayer, we're thinking of like connected with Bible reading and in the morning. And that's good. But God wants us to talk to him throughout the day. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is the exercise of faith. And prayer ought to be the rhythm of our lives. That's third. Prayer ought to be the rhythm of our lives. So first, prayer is talking to God. Second, prayer is the exercise of faith. Third, prayer ought to be the rhythm of our lives. What do we mean by that? Prayer is something that we do not only in the morning, but in the morning and at noon and in the evening. We think of Daniel and his rhythm of life, right? What was the law that was made in chapter 6 that made it so Daniel went to the lion's den? What were people supposed to do? They're supposed to pray only to the king, right? And to no one else. And the guys who made that law made it especially so they could catch Daniel because they knew the rhythms of his life. And they knew that he prayed three times a day toward Jerusalem. And I love Daniel 6.10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, that law, saying you're going to be thrown to the lions if you pray to anyone other than Darius for the next 30 days, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. It's like he has his rhythm. They even know about it. They say, we're going to make a law so you get killed if you do this. And he's like, this is my rhythm. I'm going to do what the Lord has commanded. I'm going to talk with him throughout the day, praying and giving thanks before God. Prayer ought to be the rhythm of our lives. And so that means sometimes our prayers are really short. Just like not every conversation you have with other people in your lives is long, there's sometimes you have really short conversation. It's fine. You said what you needed to say and you go on. Sometimes that's how it is with God. There are quick prayers as we're going on to do what has been given to us to do, but having a rhythm will help us remember to pray. Why do we pray at meals? Right? Is it so that the food won't turn rotten in our mouths? Right? How many people have ever joked about that either with, with kids? Right? It's like, oh, somebody started eating before. It's like, we better hurry before that goes down. We better pray. It's like when we're praying and we talk about it as blessing the food, it doesn't change the food, right? It doesn't make it so the food tastes good, though there's some meals maybe we feel like that would be nice. It doesn't do anything to the food, right? What are we doing when we pray before a meal? We're acknowledging the God who loves us and cares for us and provides all our needs. And when we eat, that's an especially good time to do that. And we tend to eat 
I mean, so I never eat breakfast. Okay. We tend to eat three times a day. And if you're eating five times a day, as some are want to do, that's just more opportunity for you to pray. All right? And that's good. You can pray, you know, and it's like, do we need to pray if dessert is more than 30 minutes after dinner? Right? Tell me you've thought about this, right? Do we need to pray? Hey, I see that thumbs up. Thank you. Um, do we need to pray again? Right? And we're asking the question all wrong. Right? Because it's not about the ice cream becoming healthy for you. It's about talking to our God who loves to give us good gifts to enjoy. It's not, do I have to pray? Is it going to be okay? It's like, if you get that far, stop and pray. And say, God, I love you. (laughs) Thank you. You have blessed me in so many ways. Having a rhythm will help us remember to pray, and it will help us to be consistent in prayer. Because if you're at all like me, and maybe you're not, and that's probably a good thing in many ways, we need rhythms to help us remember. Rhythms actually help us remember. We need to do one thing after the other. And we need to get into our lives a habit of prayer that, yes, can start in the morning in a time with God's Word, but should be a conversation throughout the day, talking to God as things come up. We go, okay, I need help. It's like, where does my help come? (laughs) I'm going to lift my eyes to the hills. Prayer ought to be the rhythm of our lives. Fourth, prayer is hard because of the fall. Right? We say prayer is talking to God. So simple, right? It's the exercise of faith. Do you believe? Of course you pray. Prayer ought to be the rhythm of our lives. Prayer is hard. Right? It's hard to be consistent. It's hard to pay attention. By nature, we are inclined away from prayer because we are inclined away from God and toward ourselves. In verse 13 here in chapter 9, there's all this calamity that's coming on them because of God's word, according to the laws of Moses. It's happening to them just like God said it would. And he says, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord. All these things coming to pass. God's told us what to do, and we still don't do it. Do you ever feel that way? And then it's even harder to pray then, right? So I don't want to, I don't want to, I've got a little distance now, just like in a human relationship, right? If something's wrong, and we know someone's upset with us, and we're kind of upset with them, and we're sure that we're right, because of course, right? We're, we're content with that distance. We're like, it's okay if we don't talk for a while. Prayer is hard because of the fall. It's hard because of our sin. So there are times we don't want to move toward God at all. But then even when we do, we find ourselves distracted so easily, right? Seems like you can't concentrate on your work and so like, okay, I'm going to pray. And then you can't concentrate on your prayer because now you're having all these great ideas about work. 
It can even happen in like church stuff. It's like, I'm going to pray. It's like, there's a lot of people I got to contact. There's a lot of things I got to do. And rather than saying like, the Spirit's telling me that's who I need to pray for, I'm like, well, I got to like, I got to do it now so I don't forget. And it's not bad. If we're thinking about, again, prayer as ongoing conversation, if you're praying and the Lord brings someone to mind, maybe write their name down, <laughs> right? Um, that's, that is okay. And then write it down, leave it, pray about them, talk to God. Talk to him. We get so distracted with what we have to do. We have so much to do. We're like, oh, I, I don't have time for prayer. But we need God. And he really is who he says he is. And he really listens to our prayers. And he really wants us, when we're weak, when we're lost, to come to him. So what are some ways we can fight against distraction in prayer? So that in that time this week, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And we're like, one thing would be to consider prayer postures, right? If you're lying down in like a sleeping position, prayer might be hard. If you're super comfortable and relaxed, we have chairs downstairs that lean way back. And if you try to pray in one of those chairs, you won't be praying. Soon you'll be napping. And so consider your posture for prayer. How did Daniel pray? Generally, he got on his knees. Now, that's not a rule. It's not that God only hears us when we're on our knees. In fact, there are other verses that tell us to stand and pray. Those are two things we probably aren't usually doing. when we're praying. And again, this isn't a a rule. It's not like if you don't pray on your knees or you don't pray standing, God won't hear you. But it's good to put ourselves in a physical posture that reminds us what we're doing and why we're here. Another just kind of practical tip, pray out loud, right? How many times? Well, I can pray silently. It's fine. And then like 30 seconds in, I'm like, what was I praying about? Right? I see the smiles (laughs) from at least one or two. It's like, yep, I know that. Now, you can still get distracted praying out loud. These aren't foolproof fixes, right? These are are helps for our distraction in prayer. Pray out loud. Talk to God. And remember, don't try to talk like your favorite Bible teacher or professor or pastor. That's not the goal of prayer. God is not impressed with our flowery language. He doesn't need us to say lots of big words. He needs us to be us with him. That's what he wants in prayer. So if you're getting stuck because you can't think of the right theological term, don't worry about that and just talk to God where you are. One last tip on that is have what you're praying for written down as a guide to keep you on track. You think, but, but I have to close my eyes when I pray. I have a secret. The Bible doesn't say to close your eyes to pray. And the kids are like, what? Then why do I always have to do that? What is, is, is my whole prayer life a lie? It's like, no, it's not. It's 
fine. And the reason I think that people started doing that was to help people concentrate, especially in a room where there's a lot of other people and a lot of other things going on that can distract us. It's a good idea to close our eyes. But I know even from conversations with some of you, sometimes as soon as you close your eyes, you're seeing all sorts of things. It's not dark inside your head when your eyes are closed. And if that's the case, no one's going to tell on you, even on Sunday, Keep your eyes open then. If keeping your eyes open helps you talk to God, keep your eyes open when you pray. And if your eyes are open when you pray, it is totally okay to be looking at something that says what you want to pray for and that even can guide your prayers. There are, there are books that are aids to personal worship, aids to prayer, aimed to help you. Um, my wife and I just started doing a new one um, this week, and as we're reading through it, it's like, whoa, there's some prayers in here that actually are helping when it, when it gets to the, like, the free prayer part of that personal liturgy. Our free prayer is better because it's informed by the prayers that are there to help us. They're setting categories of Father, Son, and Spirit, and God's mercy to us, and our need of Him. And it's like, this is actually helping us. Like when we're praying not following it, we're praying better because it was there. So you can have, whether it's a prayer list, I know many of you keep prayer lists. Here's people I'm praying for, things I'm praying for. So as you do that, yeah, open your eyes, see it, talk to God, and then see the next thing, talk to God. Are you getting the theme? Talk to God. <laughs> talk to God. So prayer is talking to God. It's the exercise of faith. It's the rhythm of our lives. It's hard. It's hard. If anybody tells you prayer is easy, they are lying to you. But it's not only hard. Prayer is possible because of our covenant keeping God. Prayer is possible because of our covenant keeping God. Throughout this prayer in Daniel 9, there are references to the covenant that was made with Israel. It's, it's talked about as the law of Moses. It's, it's talked about through their disobedience to his rules, to his law. They haven't done what he has said. They have not kept the covenant. But why is prayer possible? Because God keeps his covenant. Daniel prays here based on God's covenant and on his promise. He prayed for God to act, not because of all the good that he had done or the good that the people had done, right? He explicitly says, I'm not praying to you for that. I'm not praying to you because of our righteousness, but for your name, your character, your glory. It's for your own sake that we pray because you rescue those who are called by your name. And he could do that. He could pray. He could approach God because it's God's nature to save, to be merciful, to be gracious, to hear us when we pray because of his covenant with his people. Like, who is Daniel praying to? In verse 15, says, Now, O Lord, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. That's who he's praying to. The God who rescues his people. 
people. And if Daniel could pray with this kind of boldness under the old covenant, think of the access we have because of the new covenant. And this is where it points us forward to Jesus. He's praying looking backwards. But what can we do in prayer? We are under the new covenant with better promises than the old one. The promises there were being fulfilled. If you disobey and you disobey and you disobey, you'll be put out of the land. Your land will be desolate and you will be in exile. And under the new covenant, we have different promises. We're not only delivered physically out of Egypt and have to work our way into staying in the land. Through Jesus, we are delivered from all our sin and are part of his eternal kingdom. And in this covenant, as in all covenants, God starts it. God comes to us. He's the covenant initiator, and he is the covenant-keeping Savior. And so the gospel is not how to get to God and how I figured it out. That's not the story of any of us. How do we get there and how I know? It is that God came for us. Right? Even as we sang way back near the beginning, singing Jesus strong and kind, there's all this, you know, when I'm weak, when I'm afraid, right? I can come to him. I can come to him. I can come to him. Why can I come to him? Because Jesus said, if I'm lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on that cross, he will come to me. We can come to him. You can come to him. Even if you're feeling all your weakness in prayer and like, I'm so bad at this, what do I do? We can come to him because he has come to us. Jesus came as the God-man and lived among us, took the form of a servant, ultimately serving by giving his life as a ransom for many through the sacrifice of his body on the cross, taking all our sins in his body on that tree, dying in our place, the death, the punishment that we deserved. But then he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose triumphant over the grave, sin, death, and hell. And one day, he is coming back for us. And while we wait for him, he has sent his own spirit to help us. So ultimately, we can pray because we have a God who saves us. He's a God who's merciful and gracious, just like Daniel prayed here even to people who are bad at prayer. Jesus himself prays for us that our faith wouldn't fail. And the Spirit helps our weakness in prayer. There's sometimes you're like, I want to pray. I'm not even that distracted, but things are so difficult right now. Things are so heavy. Things are so hard. I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know what to say. It all feels flat. It all feels wrong. It's in those moments the Spirit, according to Paul in Romans 8, helps us in our weakness. Praying with groanings that can't be uttered, with words that maybe aren't even words, but He communicates with the Father for us in our weakness, and He helps us in our weakness in prayer. So what's prayer? It's talking to God. It's the exercise of faith. It ought to be the rhythm of our lives. It's hard because of the fall, and it's possible because of our covenant-keeping God. So how do I pray? Like, what if I don't know where to start? How do I pray? And that's what we'll be considering for the last few moments here. How do I pray? 
what if I don't know how to start? I don't know what to do. You're saying talk to God, but I don't know what to talk about. I don't feel like we have that much of a relationship. I don't know what to do. So there's a series of questions that we're going to consider that will be questions that can jumpstart prayer. Okay? What about my sins? How do I pray? What about my sins? And that's what Daniel's doing here. He is confessing sins. If we have sins to confess, we have something to talk to God about. If we have sins to confess, we can pray. We don't usually think about it that way, right? If we have sins to confess, it's like it's why we need to keep some distance. But if we have sins to confess, that is why we can come because of our covenant-keeping God who saves us. And so now, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. It means it's the right thing for God to do to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our sin If we have it, we can come to God and confess it. This prayer in Daniel 9 is a prayer of confession, both individual and corporate. We're not going to enter the big debate about that other than saying he's doing something that's right here. It's good to pray and recognize, yes, I am guilty and we are guilty. Whether we're talking about God's people, and I think that's primarily the the setting of his prayer here. He's talking about us as God's covenant people. Those people of the old covenant. We haven't kept it. And there are ways that we as the church fall short. There are ways as the church that we are weak. As God's people, we are weak. And so it's appropriate. And it's one of the reasons that we do what we do every Sunday early in the gathering. When we pray and there's a time for a confession of sin, for each one of us to confess our sins, but then also for one to lead us in prayer and confessing our sins corporately to God and asking him for forgiveness, just as Daniel did here. So first question we can ask when it's like, I have no idea what to do in prayer. What about my sins? Second, what has God done for me? What has God done for me? If you're like, I don't have much to say. It's like, what has God done for me? Has he sent his son for you? Has he saved you from your sins? Has he? (laughs) Then you have a reason to pray. Has God done anything worth thanking him for? He delivered his people out of Egypt and he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What about my sins? What has God done for me? Third, what has God promised? What has God promised? Daniel's prayer here is actually ignited by the word of God. If you feel like, I don't have a lot to say in prayer, go to your Bible. There is a relationship there, right? God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him in prayer. Conversations, hopefully, with people you know, are not one-sided, right? Where one person says all the things, and then you're like, good talk, right? No, neither side actually should like that, if that's the way that it is. It's not just one person talking, and okay, that was great. Do I get a turn sometime? How does this work? 
When we think about talking with God and taking turns, prayer is ignited by the word. And that's what happens here in Daniel 9, right? He's reading Jeremiah. And he realizes, oh, it's going to be 70 years. Oh, it's almost time. Oh, Lord. And so as we read God's word, it can ignite our prayers. We pray God's own words back to him. We started today uh, with the responsive reading from Psalm 25, the one after which we were confessing sins and being assured of God's forgiveness of us through Jesus. And that's a prayer that we can pray. Our situation isn't exactly like David's, but it can give us categories. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And Aaron led us really well in thinking about the categories that are present there. And you can do that with any number of psalms. A prayer like this one. Other prayers throughout the scripture. Paul can't write a letter without stopping to pray. And so all along, he's writing and then he just breaks out in prayer to this God who is worthy and who saves us. And he prays for his people to know his love for them. To know his care for them. To know his provision. So we pray God's own words back to him. We talk to him because he has talked to us. He talks to us in his word, and we talk to him in prayer. So what has God promised? And we can pray to him based on those. You've promised to keep us to the end, and I don't feel kept right now. So God, help. You've promised to care for us, and I'm struggling to know that you care for me. God wants to hear us talk to him like that. If that category in particular is something you're like, I'd love to hear more about that. Um, earlier in this summer, we had a sermon on the book of Lamentations. It was about how we bring our laments, how we bring our, God, I thought it was going to be this way, and it's that way, to him. That we pray to him. We talk to God when we're in trouble, when we're facing difficulty. We talk to him honestly, humbly, and hopefully it's bad to like recommend your own things. I did preach that sermon, but I think it's helpful not because I said it, but because it is from God's word, particularly to people who are struggling or in trouble or in difficulty. So what about my sins? What has God done for me? What has God promised? What do I desire? You're thinking about how do I get started in prayer? What do I want? Again, this doesn't have to be fancy, This is, what do I want from God? What do I want God to do? Because we have needs to to be met, right? We have sins to confess and needs to be met. And a covenant-keeping God who saves us, we have needs to be met. And God wants to hear about the smallest things in our lives. Sometimes we don't talk to God because we think whatever is happening is not important enough. Right? It's like, he takes care of the big things, I take care of the little things. But he cares about every bit of it. He cares about all of our lives. From the tiniest things to the biggest things. And we bring petitions. That's a fancy word for requests. That's what we are asking him for. But it's not just about what we want for ourselves, and we're like, well, what do I want? Well, I mean, I want a new car, and I want a new house. And it's like, this is great. Good time talking with God. Good talk. And I'm looking forward to the answers to those prayers. Probably the answer is mostly going to be no. It's not just about 
well, what do I feel like? What do I want? But what good do we long to see for God's glory? And even there, the answer may be no. And that's something else that can make prayer hard. When we're praying, we're saying, Lord, I want to be healthy so that I can do this good work that I think you've given me to do that my health is keeping me from right now. Like, it's even a good desire. It's not just for my own selfish ends. And even then, he may not answer the way that we want. But prayer is the exercise of what? Of faith. We trust him. We bring our desires to him. We ask him But we ask him in humility, knowing he is the one who's sovereign. He is the one who is over all. That's, again, that's the main thing going on here in Daniel. He's the one who is over all, and we trust him, and ultimately we must rest in him. Daniel here prayed for the restoration of his people to the land and for the glory of Jerusalem, ultimately for the glory of God. And so how do we do that? We're not praying for a restoration to the land. We're not praying for Jerusalem to be restored to glory. Today, the equivalent is praying for God's kingdom to come as his people are gathered to him through the spread of the gospel. Consistently in the prophets, we're told God's going to bring the people back from from all the nations. You're like, how's all this going to work? From the nations, he's bringing Israel back to the land, and there's going to be people coming in from the nations. How's that happening? How are people coming into God's kingdom today? They're coming to his kingdom as they hear his word and believe, as they respond with repentance and faith. God's kingdom comes in them, in us. We also pray for God's kingdom to come in its fullness when Jesus comes again. So there's a way in which God's kingdom is now, and we who belong to him are part of his kingdom, his people living under his good, generous rule. But there's a way in which As we know all too well, it's not complete yet. We are not there yet. We are not home yet. And so we pray for God's kingdom to come in its fullness when Jesus comes again. We pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus. So what about my sins? We can confess. What has God done for me? We have reasons to praise him. We have reasons to thank him. What has God promised? What has he told us will be? And we pray his word back to him. What do I desire? What are the things that I want to see God do? And that helps kind of govern our prayers a little bit. When we think, like, I'm praying this in Jesus' name, according to his will, for his glory. And then last, what have other Christians throughout history found helpful? And so I mentioned a moment ago um, a book that we're using at home to help us pray and read God's word together. What have other Christians found helpful? And especially, I'm thinking here, throughout history. And it might feel fake to pray someone else's prayer. Right? If you've ever seen someone like, reading a prayer at a public event, it's like, oh man, they don't have any real relationship with God. Or maybe they cared very deeply <laughs> about being precise in this public prayer because it's a little bit scary to do that. Not everyone can just close their eyes and go. But we also often don't do that well in private prayer. (laughs) 
where we just close our eyes and go, and we're off to the races, praying and talking to God. And so if that's part of the struggle for you, it is okay to pray someone else's prayer. And as you pray it, and as it fits with God's word, engage your heart with it. It might feel fake to pray someone else's prayer, but it can be a pathway to much deeper, more biblical prayer too. So there are several resources with this very aim to help Christians learn to engage with God through prayer. So the big idea, again, was this. Since we have sins to confess, and we always do, needs to be met, and we always will until Jesus comes again, and a covenant-keeping God who saves us, and we always will forever, we pray. And still we might say, but I really stink at that. <laughs> like, you don't even know how bad it is and how long it's been since I've prayed. There's mercy from our covenant-keeping God for that, too. The Lord is committed to us, not because we're so good at prayer, but because he is committed to his name and his glory. He saves us by his grace according to his promise. And we can call out to God based on his covenant love for us. We pray, for him because, we pray to him because we need his forgiveness for our broken selves. We pray to him because we need God's help in this broken world. And we pray to him because we want God's kingdom to come in people's hearts and when Jesus comes again. So as you go to prayer today, as you go to prayer this week, the goal isn't prayer for the sake of praying we prayed, and next week we'll be like, did you pray this week? Is it going better? It's going good? And maybe we should talk like that a little more, not like that, but asking good questions. The goal isn't prayer for the sake of saying that we prayed. It's for having an ongoing conversation with the God who created us and redeemed us. When we're in trouble, may our instinct be prayer. In our daily rhythms, may our habit be prayer. After all, the Lord loves to meet us there. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you that you have spoken to us and that you have made it possible for us to approach you. On our own, we would have no reason to come before you, no hope of being accepted by you, but we have hope because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross in our place. And so even for those of us who may be feeling just the weakness of our prayer and even conviction of like, I don't, I don't do that, and how do I do this? God, would you help us to see Jesus giving his life for that sin and sending the Spirit to help us pray? And would you help us to stand up or get on our knees and pray? Talk to you to listen to you through your word, to talk with you in prayer. Would you help us? It's hard. Would you help us even when it's hard just to admit that it's hard and, and talk to you anyway? God, would you meet with us this week? That for, for those who maybe have had a while before there's, since there's been any sense of your presence and peace and power in their lives. God, would you meet with us through your word and prayer this week? And would you strengthen us by it? And as we trust you, 
would you reveal to us that you are holding on to us and you will keep us to the end because you are that covenant-keeping God who saves us both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.